half of what we want to hear God about, we just have to do something about it. He calls us sons and daughters, and he wants us to take responsibility from what we read in the word and just do something. Mm. And there's this codependency, like if God would just speak to me, then I can live a real life. And God's like, I put all of my power in you. People are like, what should I wear today, God? And he's like, I want you to create like what you'd want to wear. Like, I want you to design your life. I want you to look at what I put inside of you and actually be really empowered. Does God still speak? And even if he does, how do we know that what we're hearing is the one true God and not just our own thoughts? Well, let's say God is in fact speaking. What guardrails should we have? How do we decipher true Holy Spirit messages versus our own desires just chatting us up? Well, when it comes to hearing the voice of God, this man is the person we need to talk to. Sean Bowles is an author, a YouTuber, and a prophetic minister. Sean, my brother, thanks for coming on. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> so let's get right after it. What is the voice of God? How do we know what we're hearing is God at all? It's funny because I think of when I was growing up, I grew up as a second generation Christian. So my parents were learning all the foundations. They were just trying to figure it all out because they didn't have it. And when they were a kid, they didn't have it when like they didn't grow up with the stories. And they kind of had church, but they didn't have, you know, and religion, but not like actually relationship. So I watched them kind of walk it out and I love what they were doing, but they were like seeing it in a church centric way because they love the church they were going to. It was during the Jesus people movement. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but I wanted to see if my relationship with God could have an impact deeper than just on me, but in the world around me. And so I wanted to see if the things that they were seeing in their conventions and conferences and camps and all the things that they went to and did, and they bring us to, if this stuff works for real. One of the main areas that I was curious about is, do you really, really speak to everybody, God? Do you really speak to people like me? Like, can I hear you? Is it just the crazy prophet type people in the charismatic Pentecostal churches? Or So I, I went after hearing God's voice as kind of now one of my areas of expertise because I had to see if this works for me or everybody, like any man. And if the Bible was real, if God really did wire us for connection that way. And if he did, like you said, what are the guardrails and how do we know if it's God or not? Because there's, we live in LA, so there's a lot of people who are on the streets right now who think they've heard from God and that's yeah. why they're here, but now they're homeless and on drugs. So it's, it's really interesting how this one subject is one of the most fascinating, one of the most sought after subjects, but one of the most misunderstood too. Mm. So yes, we hear from God. I think we absolutely are wired to hear from God. I think it's the word, the Bible, and mm. the spirit. I think the Bible is such a great foundation for true guardrails because it's all relational structure. So when you hear from God, it doesn't violate God's relational structure. And that's how you know you're hearing is because usually it compels you. Like the first thing anybody hears from God for is conviction of sin. Like all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't like that anymore. That's not you, brother. That's not like, you're not that smart. <laughs> yeah. That was okay for you last week. So what happened? Well, the Holy Spirit showed you something. And then the second thing we hear from God for ultimately as a Christian is usually how to give away our time, resources, money. Mm. So it's like all of a sudden we're like, okay, I will tithe. I'm going to give a percentage of my money away. I'm going to give, I'm going to volunteer for children's ministry, but I don't want to do, you know, whatever it is. Again, that's not, I'm not good enough to actually even plant that choice in myself. And so when I start to feel compelled mm. by God's love and God's purpose, that's also one of the ways I hear from God. So a lot of Christians don't recognize how God speaks because it's so internal mm. and it's so a part of us that sometimes we're waiting for the James Earl Jones voice. This is my way. You know, like yeah. I can't even do it. I can't do it justice. So we're looking for that Simba. voice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mufasa. So, you know, we want that, that external experience and we want that so much so that we trip ourselves out. We trick ourselves into thinking, 
the most common ways that we do life with God aren't as real. And I'm married, you're married. It's like the way I date my wife now that I'm married is way different than when I was trying to impress her and woo her. (laughs) You know, it's like now that we do life together, it's like we, we, sometimes our walks in the morning are, are, are our whole time we have together. Or sometimes it's like, I'm like, Hey, when I go do lunch, that's, you know, it's different. So the commonality of it doesn't make it less or diminish it. It just becomes more integrated in my life. So does God still do the burning bush thing? Does God do the James Earl Jones thing? Or is it more the the conviction, the speaking through scripture, the kind of... No, I think there's two big ways that God speaks. And the first one is First Corinthians 2. And we often look past this for some reason. I'm not sure why. But it says, you know, no one can understand or, or perceive what God has in store for those who love him, but we know it by his spirit. And the Holy Spirit searches the deepest parts of the Father and the mm-hmm. deepest parts of us and connects them. And then the last verse is so profound because this is the whole argument of Job is his friends are going, you don't have the mind of God. How could you think you know what God's thinking? But what Paul says is we have the mind of Christ. We have the perceptions, the thoughts, mm-hmm. the divine intelligence at work inside of us. The God who doesn't fit in time and space, he lives in me. And somehow communicates and we, we should know this better than any generation because all of our stuff stored on the cloud, you know, and God lives in the cloud. So it's like we get direct. If I had my phone out, there's information coming to my phone, even while I'm sitting here that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about or doing right now. And I might get a message to my phone and I read it and I perceive it and I take action based on what, what that message is. Well, that's a, a lot of how God speaks is the Holy spirit searches the deep parts and downloads them by impressions, feelings, thoughts into us. That's one way God speaks. The second way God speaks is very externally. And we've seen this in history, not just ancient, Jewish history and not just ancient Christian history, but we see it in modern history that the people that we respect the most, whether it be the Billy Grahams or the, the C.S. Lewis's who had moments with God. I mean, Billy Graham was going to go into, he was doing itinerant ministry and he felt like God told him to use, I mean, God spoke to him externally. Like he said, it was like a, an internal audible voice that was mm-hmm. different than a regular voice to market a crusade the way that people market for commercials or products or brands. And no one had ever even thought of that. That's, that was considered like so worldly. Why would you do that? And he did it here in LA. And he was able to do the first ever marketing, which launched his whole career from Southern California to do what he did, which is now a legacy for Christianity that no one's ever repeated or touched, you know, because of what he did. And he heard from God. It wasn't just like a download, like I should do this. I feel this. This is a prompting. I want to give some money. I want to repent of the sin. It was like actually like a God spoke to me and told me to do something. And I think that those aren't necessarily more rare experiences in the sense of commonality of how often they happen, but they're more rare in the direction that they give. Gotcha. All right, Sean, I'm going to read you a Bible verse. I need you to help me unpack it. Okay. Cool. First John, first th- uh, John four one through about three. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. Now, I've been in you know the Christian sphere a lot of my life. And so I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah. but then I actually think about it. Like, let's say it's some, my friend here is, is not. And they see this verse. And they're like, wait, what? A- to ask the spirit. It almost sounds like Ebenezer Scrooge, like ask the spirit. Like, how do we do that? <laughs> I love Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, well, you know, I think it goes back into this, the Christian DNA value system. For me, it's not about like, 
um, is this person like coming with a demonic satanic agenda and they become a false prophet? It's really, there's probably two or three false prophets mixed into every denomination and major movement. And they're people who've now taken the Christian agenda and they're using it for their own purpose. And so they're speaking and trying to rally people's energy and time and finances for something that's just not aligned with making Jesus known, loving Jesus with all of our hearts, evangelism, the Great Commission, like all the foundations of prayer, a lifestyle of prayer and living, realizing your heart is evil and wicked, but as God recreates it, you can trust it more and more. But there's always that tension of like, I'm going to want what I want, but I got to lay down my desire for happiness, mm. for God's desire, for sacrifice, for his eternal gain, for like what Jesus is going to get at the end of this race. When he comes and returns, I want to be able to return everything, use my life for to give him everything he's worthy of. So there's this watered down message of Christianity that's become more and more watered down. And I think false prophets in our generation are people who are not pointing you at living a life of sacrifice for Jesus' sake, mm. but are pointing at a, kind of a Christian American dream. Of just what makes you happy, do that, and that's what God will bless, and that's just not truth. And so I think you know that that would be one example of false prophets who are leading in the church today, who are in major ways. That would be an example, or it could be another example. It could be some of the Pentecostal charismatic actual prophets. They're actually dub prophets in the movement, and they get so involved with politics and prophetically that if this person doesn't win or this thing doesn't happen or this you know Supreme Court issue doesn't get resolved, then America's going to be destroyed. Right. And or this the reason why the Maui fires happened was because there was sin of the it was the first place that abortion ha- was legalized. And so that therefore God had to judge them somehow, even though it was decades ago. You know, there's this weird um, mentality that separates us from loving very real people mm. because we we legalize the agenda of sin on the earth. And it causes people to create an us and them in their Christianity. Like, I have information that you don't have. I'm in the know. God loves me. But God loves us all. And so true prophets are always pointing out what God's doing. Mm. They're not worried about what man's doing wrong and what the enemy's doing. They're pointing out what God's doing. And they're pointing out for the sake that we could surrender more of our lives to Jesus Mm. so that God, because eternally we're going to have happiness. We know Mm. that. But it's not assured on this side of eternity for every day. Like that fulfillment that people talk about is kind of elusive because we're letting God lead us in ways we wouldn't go. That's Peter. He was the foundation of the rock of the church. He was led in ways he wouldn't go by Jesus for the sake of Jesus. And I don't think American Christianity always understands it. So false prophets are very obvious when you put traditional scripture and understanding of how Christianity is actually a sacrificial religion. It changes everything. I mean, how many people think they're going to marry someone because God told them in the church? I mean, I had, I was single for a long time. I was single until I was 37. I had so many women who believed I was their husband and like mm-hmm. chased me around the world trying to, you know, I had restraining I mean, orders on some people because it just got man. so crazy. Not because of that. <laughs> <laughs> Only because of position, not because of looks. But, uh, you know, that, that happens where people think they've heard something. Mm. And I think that's where we got to test and go, does this line up with you know, Jesus and his will and desire for, for my humanity? Or is this something that comes out, that manufactures in my soul? First Kings 19, 11 through 13. Let me read it real fast. So it says, this is Elijah, right? Obviously it says, uh, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Now, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the fire came a gentle whisper, or in other translations, a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak over his face 
and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? A gentle, small whisper. And so maybe if the reason we're not hearing the voice of God is, are, are you available to hear a whisper? And I get it, dude. It's like the time commitment. Like you have eight and 10 year old yeah. kids. I have a four year old and a nine month old, which basically a nine month old. Yeah, you're in that. Dude, I'm yeah, in it, bro. That. I'm in it. <laughs> Send help. SOS. Yeah. Uh, pray for my wife. Um, but to make time, it's like, well, you yeah. don't have time. It's like, do you watch any college football on Saturday? Yes, I do. Do you make sure you go to the gym three or four times a week? Yes, I do. Not that I need to exclude those things, but I do have time. But to me, hearing the still small voice, a gentle voice, is the whole ball game. So how, one, why is that? Why is why does God speak in a still small voice, not in a fire or an earthquake, whatever? And how do how do we make time for that? Yeah, I think I think one of the reasons is because he's just he's so dramatic and yet he's so normal and practical. And so he's he wants to show us he's doing life with us for real. So I think like up until a hundred years ago, we didn't have music that we could play and, you know, or music that guided our, our worship and devotional times. And we didn't have like speakers that we could like play their message or podcast. You know, I mean, people learned how to be really quiet and how to learn how to just focus on Jesus and not be distracted. And of course her life was way more simple. And so I think in some ways people heard God more clear who were focused on it at the same time, like, half of what we want to hear God about, we just have to do something about it. He's calls us sons and daughters and he wants us to take responsibility from what we read in the word and just do something. Mm. And there's this codependency. Like if God would just speak to me, then I can live a real life. And God's like, I put all of my power in you. And so I think the, the codependency to a weird prophetic message happens so much specifically again, in the charismatic Pentecostal church, you'll watch people are like, what should I wear today? God. And it's like, I want you to create like what you'd want to wear. Like, I want you to design your life. I want you to look at what I put inside of you and actually be really empowered to make powerful decisions without coming to me out of codependency. But then when it comes to actually doing life, and I think it's the same way of, if you think of what would I need in a father at this stage of life? Cause mm. some people always go daddy, God. And they're thinking like they're a six year old before God and he has to command them, Yeah, but they're actually really are a 32 year old and they need to make man decisions and woman decisions. And they don't need little daddy God to help. They need father God who's equipped them. And they need to be able to, like I asked my dad way different questions now that I'm in my forties than I would have in my twenties. And when I was in my teenage years, and I think like for a lot of people too, I know this isn't a direct answer to your question, but you think of like a 12 year old needs help to figure out, should I have a crush on this girl or not? I'm crushing, man, I'm crushing. And they might need some help because 12 is too young. You want to, you want to distract them from their crush. They might be 18 and you're like, oh, I'm going to help you with that as a parent. I'm going to help you kind of like, tell me your heart, tell me what's going on. When they're 30, if they haven't gotten married and they're still asking you, what should I do? You actually look like a bad parent. At that point, it's like, if you're codependent on me, you want my opinion that much to help you pick. I've helped, I haven't helped form you. Mm. I've been helped form your picker. And a lot of the way people do the prophetic or hearing God's voice or listening to him is they're looking for God to solve problems in their lives. And they're actually, again, they're using religion because they haven't become a solid identity individual yet to say, I'm going to make some really powerful choices in my life. And it makes God, as a father, when I'm in my 30s, look good. And it makes the world look at him differently when it's like somebody who's making adult decisions, who's being given the power and the virtue and choosing the morality and choosing the character and bearing witness to the fruit of the spirit to do some really powerful things. Then when you hear God, it's way more powerful because alongside of your Christian faith of how you're practicing the discipline life of Christianity. And I think that's where it gets confused. That's where a lot of people who aren't cessationists, they do believe in the gifts of God today, are confused by some of the Pentecostal charismatic circles because they're like, 
the way you hear from God is a little crazy. Like you're so codependent on it. Like I, I just like you can't even make your own decisions unless you've woken up and you have the magic eight ball and you're like, God, what do you want me to do? Yes or no? Yes or no? That's just not how God is. And for pe- people call me like in politics and entertainment and royal families, they'll call me and be like, can I have a word from God? Time out. Royal families? Yes. Throughout the years, many times. Different really? Middle East and oh, the, wow. in uh, Asian countries. And wow. especially when I was walking more in the itinerant world, when I was like, you know, out there really teaching people how to hear from God and then modeling it. And when a lot of times it would come and they'd want like a direct message because a family member died and they wanted a resolution. They wanted to know what to do about a financial thing or career decision, which is what we should go to God with. Mm. We should want that and we should want prayer from each other. But they were coming more to access a voice, almost mm. like a psychic or a medium. Like I need somebody else. Yep to intermediate for me, to be my priest because they didn't understand their own priesthood. Come on. And that was the part where it became, go talk about false prophets. A lot of people fill that space and then they start to get in the way of God and someone's life. And they're no longer operating in what God, what I would think would be in the new Testament prophecy lane. And so they've actually created a ministry around giving information and helping people make decisions that people are supposed to make for themselves. Yep. So my role is to help people learn how to hear from God for themselves. And sometimes I hear God for them. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful when mm-hmm. I do. But typically when I get those appointments, I'm like, my job is to get out of the way mm. so they could really get in touch with what they're hearing and what God's doing. So let's, let's, let's name some, uh, some famous people that are, that are pastors, the, 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 the Matt Chandlers and the Stephen Furtick's people look, watch them on, on TV. Like, Oh, if I could, ha- if he, he has a direct, you know, White House line to the Kremlin with God. Is that true? Are they, are they any more equipped than you are to hear no. the voice of God? Uh, I mean, they're, they're more focused on maybe ministerial spiritual things and they're leading people in a different way. But, and so sometimes we think that puts them in this light, this magical space with God. But the reality is that we're justified by our own faith. And that's what, what's beautiful about Protestantism. And I love Catholicism as well. But Protestantism, like when Martin Luther nails his thesis on the Wittenberg door, one of the things it said is, you don't need a man to be your priesthood, but you can go directly to God. Come and on. so he writes the Bible in a common language. And that's the first time that we have literacy jump at the rate it had in one generation because people want to read the Bible so bad. You know, and you had the right tools that God put on the earth for it. So like the printing press and those kinds of, it's just so cool. And I look at it and I, I think we're in that time again where people are realizing like, even if I get an audience, I've had so many like wealthy, I've I met with, I'm sure a hundred billionaires yeah. who met with me hoping to get a word from God. And I didn't know why they wanted to meet, but they, you know, like, can we set up a time with either team, whatever? And I set up a time with them. And what happens is there's this disappointment of like, I really need to hear because I'm in crisis uh, and I need to navigate around this crisis. And what I'm, what my job is in that time, sometimes I do again, hear from God, but the majority of time is times I'm, I'm speaking to them. I'm like, what do you think God's saying to you? What does he put in your heart? Why would, why is he giving you this opportunity or what is this crisis from? Is it because you followed God into something and now you need him to lead you all the way? Because the author, he's the finisher, Hebrews 12 too. Like, what do you need? And it's really interesting when you put the power back in the person's hand, then they go, I really am powerful enough to make this decision with God. He loves me enough to do life where I don't need a Sean to yeah. teach me or to, to, to stand in my way of God or yeah. stand in the way of God talking to me. And I think that that's where we've gotten off. And that's where everybody can hear from God. He made us that way. The most uneducated person in Africa, I've been with them, yeah. you know, like had no schooling at all. And they're yeah. already an adult. 
and they hear from God powerfully and God begins to use them above their pay grade, above what they've read in the Bible. And they're, they're quoting scriptural principles without quoting the Bible Wow! because they're, they're in line with God and they're already being discipled by a spirit. But then once you add in the features of, you know, true discipleship and yeah. it just takes it to another level. Wow. Okay. So where, where does this book come in? So as you know, I've, I've led about 30 trips of young Christian influencers so to cool. Israel. It's just fun. It's cool. wild. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. I guess yeah, I'm not dude, young enough dude, anymore. I wish I would have known <laughs> the Sean Bowles back in the day, dude. Um, it's okay. But, Rabbi Jason's been taking me. It's okay. There you go. See, that's much better. But if someone were to say, hey, you've, you've gotten this really, I've, I've mentioned this before, if you've got a really up close personal look at the next generation of Christianity, what would, if you could write a prescription, what would it be? And I've, I've always said this it's just biblical illiteracy, biblical mm-hmm. literacy. Like, I don't know if there is a hearing God absence as much as he spoke, but you don't know what he's already said. And mm-hmm. so that's why I, I see a lot of our generation, millennials and Gen Z, wiling out because they're not rooted in anything profound. So I guess my friend here who's watching, like what what would your encouragement be if they're looking at you like, oh, I clicked on this video because I know Sean is the is the prophetic messenger dude. He's freaking Gandalf. But I I want some practical advice. What would you say? It's it, can I answer it like a roundabout way? Do we have enough time? You have time. Okay. So I was watching Glenn Beck recently mm-hmm. and he was talking about Oliver Anthony, who's an overnight sensation. It's Christopher Anthony, the guy who sings the the uh, oh, rough to something to North Rich, and Richard or North wait Richmond North of Virginia there you go like Richmond North of Virginia who just or no Richmond, number one song North of Richmond I mean, there you go yeah and uh, number one song on iTunes he's never been represented by a label before and Glenn Beck said I you know I became friends with Billy Graham the last few years of his life and one of the things I asked Billy is why isn't there another Billy Graham why isn't there another all these different, he named all kinds of people who are famous and whatnot. Like, we need these people. Like, who's going to take us the next, the next path? And Billy said, you don't need another famous Billy Graham. You need the normal average guy who rises up and starts to speak truth. And so Glenn Beck was watching Oliver Anthony and saying, this is that. Like, he's speaking truth and culture of what we really need to hear to kind of rebalance us and come back. Now, in the midst of that, I watched the church get so offended because there's some cussing in it. There's there's some soul expression that's kind of like, you know, if they would consider fleshly carnal or whatever. And I started laughing. I was like, they're going to die in the hill of, there's a cuss word in the song versus looking at it and going, God's raising up unusual voices. And it's not about, you know, like top grade morality at this point. These are, this is a guy who's like just learning the Bible. He's on Joe Rogan, quoting the Bible to Joe. Joe's speechless when he's reading Proverbs to him. Joe's like, wow, like for the first time, maybe God, it may be the most profound interview because Joe's had a lot of Christians on yeah. recently and maybe one of the most profound times that Joe's had a Christian on because he was authentic. Yeah. And I think, I think I'm looking at generation Z and millennials. And I'm, I think our generation was allowed to make mistakes because if you made mistakes, you were disqualified and it was like, shame, you know, shame. <laughs> and I think we're coming to a generation where you have the Brene Brown Christianity where it's like, it's all about let's be as vulnerable as we can with God. And when you're vulnerable with God, the Bible works the best. Because when you have the life of David in front of you, but you're not allowed to make mistakes. And if you make mistakes, then you don't relate to David because you're just, you're going to hell if you don't repent today, but you don't understand there's process in those mistakes that leads you to become more like Christ. Mm. There's a process where he teaches you who he is by who you're not. And the Bible is so good at that. So I think a lot of people are going to start reading the Bible because there's so much application for right now 
for the cultural wars when I think of racism, Jesus came in the most racist time where his, his race was almost genocided, but was being used corruptly by the Roman government because it produced so much income. Mm. And so he comes in this time when everyone hated the Jewish people and on all sides. And he comes as the most hated Jew who his own people hated. They're like there was racism within the Jewish people and then there's racism externally. He, so racism's in the Bible, environments in the Bible. And it was starting to garden. Like God said, steward the earth and we're not doing it. Like Christians can care about environmentalism more than anybody else, you know, and yet there's all these things that are in the Bible that we discount because another generation told us what it should look like and mm. what it should be. And I think we need a generation of, gener of Generation Z people to rise up and t teach us again with their cultural perspective. And I think it's going to awaken, like I learn from my kids all the time, they're eight and 10, they teach me things about God that I've never thought of now, decades into my walk with God, you know, like being a minister for 30 years. And I'm learning from them all the time. Like, oh my gosh, like, how did I not know this? Like, how do I not? And so there's something about what's emerging that if we don't, if it's not rooted in the Bible, it's, it's just not as deep. If it's rooted in, this is what I think about the Bible. Yeah. You know, there's churches in LA right now that are big on your, you exercise your personal freedoms over any identity politics, everything else. Like God doesn't care about that. He cares about mm. your heart. And I, mm. I hear you, but yeah. the Bible has a lot of clarity. And so when you allow religion to not be relationship and it's not governed by the restraints of a 2000 year old book that actually has a lot to say about what's going on and God's original plan of male, female, God's original plan of marriage, God's original plan of nuclear family, that healing and culture happens through families being in community. That's huge. Like when you read the Bible, you, I had a friend who totally changed his lifestyle. He had an alternative lifestyle and he changed his lifestyle because he saw himself getting married to a woman and he never thought he would get married to a woman because he didn't have theology for it. He's a Christian. And he saw his wife in a vision and he saw his two kids in a vision. And then he met the woman in the church that they were going to, which was like a church that believed in anything. Yeah. And he told her and he goes, I always thought it was going to be this way, but I, are you interested? She goes, if you, if you can really give your heart to me, yes. And they fell in love and it changed his, all the choices he was making just of the freedom of choice because, wow. and then he started to get the theology he was reading the Bible. He's like, Oh, I understand why marriage is the best thing. Why families like, I would never want to live any other way. Yeah. But he didn't know that theologically based on the church he was going to because they weren't really studying the Bible for the sake of how God intended it. They were studying it for the sake of it being relevant to the American Christian dream. Mm. And so I think that that's why we need the Bible is because when you study it for its historic relevancy, its exegetical relevancy, and then also your personal life application. But don't start just with life application. Mm. Life application is so important, but start to know what, what God thought about Jewish people. Yeah. Start to why was the old Testament love letter with the dysfunctional bride? He had a divorce, you know, yep. twice, you know, like yeah. why, you know, like yeah. why, why? And then, and then get into like, why was the early church so profound? And I think, I think it gives us a passion for how we live today when we read it correctly. Yeah. So good. So good. All right. Last question. Uh, you kind of have talked about, about this in a lot of different ways, but again, let, let's say my friend here has clicked on this video because you are the, the modern day. What's another, what's another one? Um, We'll stay with Gandalf. Your beard's coming in. Um, have you ever gone like really long? I did. I was down to here for a while. Oh, you weren't. But it was like super um, scraggly, even though it looked nice. And, <laughs> and I just looked like I was trying to be like a cool LA pastor. And I was yeah. Like, I can't, I'm not cool. I'm an LA pastor. I'm not cool. So I was like, I can't cool, do though, it. Bro. Anything longer than this, it gets really scratchy. Yeah. Anyway, can I trust the Bible? So if my friend here who's watching this and they, they, they legitimately clicked on this because they want to hear the voice of God. And we've, we've, we've talked a lot about it, but if there's like a, 
30 second minute long thing. You could just talk to my friend here as we close out. Yes. Okay. Here's what you do. Sit down with God and get your biggest questions that you have in life. I'm not talking about like the, is God even real? Not those kinds of questions, but the biggest like life things that you're, the decisions you're making, maybe some of the desires you have for the greater aspect of life. You have to think of Ephesians where it says, before time began, God created you and, and thought of you and created you for good works and a destiny. So what are the big things that are gonna drive you in life towards Jesus and where you're gonna see, the more you see God in your life, the more you'll follow him. And so he has a desire to show you himself. So if that's true, what are the big questions you have and where are you looking for those questions to be answered? Like be honest with yourself, are you going to church to actually get answers to those questions? Are you reading the Bible in a way that's proactively towards those questions? Are you doing listening prayer or do you just talk to God? So here's the big thing is I would start fresh in your prayer time and say, I'm gonna reset my prayer time. I'm gonna put my second commandment prayers, which is like the, I pray for my aunt who's sick and I pray for Africa and Maui. I would put those on the side. Jesus cares more about them anyways. I would just fast from second commandment for 30 days and just do it when it's more organic throughout the day. And your time with God that you have, it's precious. So five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes is enough. I hope you'd spend time reading the Bible and praying, but open the Bible to something that has to do with the questions you're asking. So get a concordance, get, you know, you can go online, do some Bible searches for scriptures that, and stories that are available to kind of be like your circumstances you're looking for. And after you read them and see a prototype of faith, because faith comes through hearing or reading as you read it and maybe look for some testimonies of in your church of people who are going through or have gone through what you've gone through, then do listening prayer. And what, what that is, is you're going to ask God, do you have anything to say about this? And of course he does. And you're going to wait. And when you're waiting, he may not come. It's like fasting. Fasting sucks most of the time until afterwards. Some people have this glorious experience of fasting. I've never had it. It's like the women who say, you know, I had the most incredible birthing experience. I didn't have any pain at all. It was great. My wife is the opposite. She's like, I hated birthing, but I love my babies. So fasting sucks sometimes. Well, prayer sometimes when you're waiting and you're, you don't know how to be undistracted, it's hard. But you're giving God space to where the Holy Spirit can come in a conversation later on that day with a friend. He can come through a podcast you're listening to. He can come through. You'll notice it because you waited on God. Because you gave God time and space, you're going to notice. Because as you're doing listening prayer, you're looking for the direct and indirect ways that God speaks to you. If you write those down and you start to build a track record of how God's answered, you'll start to see the pattern of how he talks to you because he's different with each one of us, just like all of our relationships are different. Some some of our relationships, humor is what communicates the most from people's hearts to us. Some of our relationships, it's the quality of time. Well, the way that God spends time with you, you have to learn that rhythm. So opening the Bible, reading the Bible, figuring out the stories that are relevant to you for right now, listening to your pastor on church on Sunday, whoever's teaching, this is huge for you. So I want to I encourage you to reset the way you spend time with God. Do listening prayer first before you do second commandment prayer. As you do that, it's going to change everything. You're the man, Sean. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.